Uh, I'm Dick Morningstar. I'm the founding director of the Global Energy Center here. And uh, uh, I want to welcome, uh, say good morning, and welcome uh, all of you to the Atlanta Council. Uh, and we're happy to see such an excellent turnout uh, for the launch uh, of our new task force report, Empowering America, How Energy Abundance Can Strengthen U.S. Global Leadership which we hope will make a major mark on the discourse on energy and national security policy in Washington uh, and uh, beyond. First and foremost, I want to thank uh, Senators Murkowski and Warner uh, for their extraordinary leadership as co-chairs uh, of the task force. We truly could not have had a better pair of senators uh, to lead this critical effort to assess the ways in which the United States energy abundance can be leveraged to strengthen American leadership, advance international security, and promote global prosperity. We're particularly pleased that this task force was a bipartisan effort, that Senators Murkowski and Warner reached across the aisle uh, on this project, and that's a testament to their leadership uh, and their commitment to standing at the forefront on these issues. I'd like to take a moment to thank the many other contributors to our task force. I can't do it by individual name with everybody, but I particularly want to thank co-director, my co-director, David Goldwyn, uh, who is chairman of the, uh, uh, Energy, uh, uh, the Energy Center Advisory Group, and it's his, his vision was the driving force uh, behind this project from day one. Uh, rapporteur uh, Bud Coote, who did a phenomenal job, um, and that was integral in producing the final report today. And un unfortunately, because of unavoidable circumstances, he cannot be uh, with us today. Uh, our task force members, we just had a great task force, many of whom are here today, and our guest speakers who generously lent their expertise to form the analytical foundation um, of this report. And I, I can say, and I think it's somewhat unusual, we had uh, 18 members of the task force, every one of them signed on to the report. That's not to say that every one of them agreed with every single sentence, but every one of them signed on to the report. Uh, the Senate staff, uh, Tristan Abbey from Senator Murkowski's staff and Kristen Sharp and Ken Johnson from Senator Warner's staff who were absolutely instrumental in the drafting uh, and the editing process of the report. And finally, our Atlantic Council team, uh, as well as David's team at his uh, firm. Uh, our Deputy Director, Annie Medallia, as well as Chris Brown and Suzanne McDaniel, and David's colleagues, Lee Hendricks and Corey Gill, all of whom provided incredible insight and put the groundwork, uh, put in the groundwork to make this report a reality. Uh, before introducing Senator Murkowski and Warner, I'd like to make a very a few very brief comments on the report and what uh, I think anyway makes it unique. From the earliest stages of this process, we were determined to put forward a report that paints a holistic picture of the relationship between American energy abundance and global leadership. For this reason, we convened a task force not only of energy uh, specialists, but also of foreign policy, defense, and economic experts. By tapping into this broad range of expertise, we were able to put forth a report that provides a detailed assessment of the value of American energy resources as a strategic asset in the U.S. foreign policy toolkit. I won't delve into a detailed description of the task force recommendations. In fact, there are many, many copies uh, outside if you haven't uh, picked them up. But I'll say this. It's crystal clear to us that if properly utilized, America's energy abundance, which extends from hydrocarbon resources to renewable energy to technical expertise and innovation, will be an invaluable tool that strengthens American leadership, advances international security, and promotes global prosperity. To this end, we call on U.S. policymakers to repeal the crude oil export ban and ease the licensing process for LNG exports, as well as to invest in R&D for alternative technologies uh, of, of different kinds, including renewable energy. 
it's crucial also to make the point that the policies that we advocate for in this report are not are not incompatible with the U.S. responsibility to continue to lead in the global effort uh, for climate, cha uh, climate change, to combat climate change, and to create a cleaner environment uh, through sustainable um, energy solutions. Now, before I turn the floor over, I'd like to make just a very few introductory remarks about the task force co-chairs, who really need no introduction. Senator Murkowski chairs the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, which, as you all know, has been busy of late, introducing a comprehensive energy bill that is currently being marked up, and in fact, she may have to leave a few minutes early to get to the markup uh, on the Hill. And she has been uh, long been one of the most prominent voices uh, here in Washington on energy issues and has been an unrelenting advocate for a strong energy agenda uh, for the United States. Senator Mark Warner, the former governor of Virginia, serves on the Senate Finance, Banking, Budget, and, Intellig and Intelligence Committees. He's worked tire tirelessly uh, to support strong private sector innovation within the energy sector uh, and a diversified uh, portfolio approach, um, particularly focusing on new technologies like solar, wind, biofuels, nuclear, and next generation battery uh, technologies. So we could not be more pleased to be joined by Senators Murkowski and Warner this morning. After they speak, David Goldwyn uh, will moderate a Q&A session um, with the senators. And just as a final housekeeping note, I'd encourage you all in the audience and those following on the webcast online to get involved in today's conversation on Twitter using the hashtag uh, pound uh, AC energy. And so without further ado, I'll turn the floor over to Senator Murkowski, who will be immediately followed by Senator Warner. Thank you. Ambassador, thank you for, for the introduction. Thank you for the opportunity to serve as the co-chair with my friend and colleague, Senator Warner, on this very important issue, uh, recognizing where we are today and how uh, in Washington, D.C., timing is everything. I don't know that I could have programmed this any better. In uh, just less than an hour now, we will, I will be going back to, uh, to resume the third day of the Energy Committee markup uh, on an energy product that we've been working on, um, I would say for months, my staff would say for years, but it is a product that in fact takes so much of what you have incorporated through the very important work of this, of this task force, the very important work of the men and women that have contributed so much analysis and thought and discussion and debate, and we are seeing that actually translated into legislation that will hopefully uh, pass before noon on a uh, pretty strong bipartisan basis. So we're working to make real so much of, of what you have been focused on. So again, timing is, is important around Washington, D.C., and the fact that we are here announcing and, and standing before you uh, this, this very impressive report at the same time that we're, we're moving out of, of the Senate Energy Committee, significant legislation is, is quite telling. Um, as I say, I'm, I'm very pleased to have been able to serve with Senator Warner on this. I think we both bring different skill sets to the issue. I'm very immersed in what happens with this supply-demand end of energy production and, and how we can facilitate that uh, across the country. Uh, but you can't make advances in, in our energy sector unless we have the, the, the know-how, the technologies, the, the advancements um, in, in an area that I think clearly Senator Warner brings to the table. And the focus that you all have provided through, through your task force and through this report to focus us more keenly on how energy and security are tied together. And truly, the nexus 
between security and energy has never been tighter or more clear than it is now. Topics of the day. We don't, we don't need to tick them off, but just name a few countries. You've got Iran, China, Russia, Syria, Yemen, Egypt, Libya, uh, all the discussion about ISIS, the discussion on the floor all week, all last week about uh, selling off the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the, the, the timeliness, again, of, of this report, and again, the nexus between security and energy as strong and as clear as ever. This report is an achievement. I think it represents what should be bipartisan consensus. And that consensus is that America should serve as a global leader on energy and the environment, and there should not be any contradiction between the two. And you've, you've noted that, Ambassador. I do not think that we need to to suggest at any point that this is an either-or proposition. You either have energy production or you have a safer, cleaner environment. That is not the way that we operate, nor should we operate, in this country. They should be inextricably tied, and, and it should lead us to bipartisan consensus as opposed to division. So I've been working, again, through the, the Energy Committee, working with my, with my colleague, uh, Senator Cantwell, from Washington as my ranking member, to build out a bipartisan energy bill. It's about 357 pages, maybe more, maybe less, given the amendments. We've, we've processed um, about 100 amendments already, and uh, that product will will again move forward this morning, but we're also moving forward this morning a very significant measure, and that is a measure that we have entitled the Offshore Production and Energizing National Security Act. Good acronym is OPENS. OPENS, makes sense. It fully repeals the outdated uh, ban on oil exports. It still preserves the emergency of the authority of the president, just exactly as the report has suggested and outlined. Uh, it is a, an incorporation of several different revenue sharing measures that I have advanced along with Senator Cassidy from Louisiana, as well as Senator Warner uh, from recognizing the, the input, the potential input from, from the Southern Atlantic. We, we talk a lot about energy, but we haven't done enough. We haven't done sufficient work when it comes to updating our energy policies. It, we haven't seen an energy bill out of the United States Senate, um, out of the Congress, since 2007. The landscape, the world, has changed dramatically since then. But the vote that we will have this morning on on uh, authorizing oil exports. We haven't seen a discussion in a uh, congressional committee that has actually moved to a vote on authorizing oil exports since, well, about 20 years now. In fact, I was told that the last time that the Energy Committee uh, discussed this, it was when they were discussing lifting the ban on exports from Alaska for North Slope crude when it was the other Senator Murkowski that was uh, leading that debate. So history kind of comes full circle here. But recognizing where your report goes, the emphasis, the, the connect, and the assurance that when we're talking about this nexus between security and energy, that lifting this ban on the oil export is key to it. But the report goes so much further than that. Uh, the, the LNG exports, pipelines, regional perspectives, modernizing the, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, improving the energy security of our closest allies. This is what we can do when we view energy as a strategic asset, as a, as a tool an effective tool and a mechanism to be a, a lever, a key lever in our foreign policy toolkit. It is something that, uh, that we must look to, that we have the opportunity to look to, and your report guides us in that direction.
Bureau of Energy Resources at the State Department is obviously very active in this area, as is the International Energy Office at, at DOE. European energy diversification, supporting new pipelines, allowing U.S. exports of oil and gas. This is the perfect example, truly the perfect example, of the concepts and policies that we should be pushing. So, Look forward to the opportunity for a little Q&A uh, afterwards. And, and again, if I have to excuse myself a couple minutes early, it's uh, to finish the good work of, of good folks back on the Hill. But thank you for your efforts and your focus on an incredibly important aspect of our energy policy. And uh, to my friend, Senator Warner, thank you for all that you've been doing working with us. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, Lisa, and thank you for um, those comments. Also, uh, I've found in the six and a half years I've been in the Senate, if um, there are a group of us from both parties, if we could put us in a room and lock the door for a while, we could get a whole lot of things solved. And Lisa Murkowski is definitely one of those people that should be in any of those rooms, not just about energy, fiscal policy, you name it. Let me also thank um, Dick Morningstar and Dave Goldwyn uh, for your leadership on this report. And quite honestly, for the continuing breadth of work that's coming out of the uh, Atlantic Council. Um, this is one of the think tanks in Washington that has expanded its reach in the, the last few years on a subject uh, of enormous importance to our, to our country, both domestically and obviously from the international standpoint. Um, I want to go through again a little bit of kind of repeat so we can get to the question and answers of what Lisa's already said. I mean, we're at this moment in time um, not necessarily because in the past we've taken the right federal policies, but because of the enormous innovation that's taken place in, in the American economy, particularly in the energy sector. Uh, who could have imagined a decade ago, and I say this humbly, and Lisa will have forgotten more about energy than I'll ever know, but who would have thought a decade ago that we would have this kind of access uh, to energy right here in North America, uh, not only in terms of a tremendously expanding, you know, uh, traditional hydrocarbon base, but as we continue to look at ways to use uh, and utilize coal in cleaner fashions, the tremendous growth uh, in renewable energy, the slope as you look towards about 2006 and 7 of, of renewables is really a, a remarkable transition. Now, still means there's challenges. Uh, uh, we've seen a lot of this growth, particularly on the oil side around fracking. There still needs to be making sure that we follow the science and safety uh, to make sure that we can use that tool in a way that's appropriate. But with this increased access, we've got to recognize that our national energy policies have to stay up with that, both in terms of what that does for our economy, but more particularly as one of the parts of this report that I was so interested in focusing in on the national security components. Um, I've got someone in the back there. Uh, I don't know if we, this is the point where we say if there's a doctor in the house. I'm going to keep, um, like any good elected official, keep talking through this, so, and maybe we can make sure we get some medical assistance in the back there. You know, clearly, and what Lisa's going to go up and do on the Hill a little bit later today, is continuing steps in this direction in terms of federal policy makers. This report talks about policies like in continuing to expand exports. Uh, I think there's, there's opportunities around that. Um, I think there's going to be political challenges as well, something that uh, I think we all will have to work through. Um, it's one of the reasons why, but we're seeing the value of expanding exports. Uh, let's take natural gas for a moment. I see friends here in the room who are in the LNG business. Um, we've already seen by the process of granting some of the permits for LNG, how that has started to affect um, the ability, particularly in Europe, of the notion that there will be opportunities to get access to American natural gas is starting to rebalance a little bit of the energy security needs in Europe, something that's terribly important as we think about how we wean European nations, friends and not so friends, particularly off of their addiction to Russian oil and gas. As well, uh, we ought to look in terms of energy security policies about how we help our allies and developing nations. Now, part of what this report does as well is lay out how those nations and America in, in conjunction can manage their resource allocation, can increase their strategic stocks, 
how we can make sure that we create a base load that builds into that base load, renewable energy, and how we can make sure that from a national standpoint, an international standpoint, we can manage for strategic, dis strategic disruptions. Even with the tremendous increase of American energy sources, we still have the overwhelming amount of uh, hydrocarbons, at least, that still pass through the Straits of Hormuz, not a part of the world that is uh, getting less dangerous. Um, this report, again, echoes the settlement that energy security is not a, national, uh, is not a natural occurrence. And it's going to require our nation, from a national strategic standpoint, to engage with our allies, thinking about this abundance new resource we have, thinking about how we can bring it to bear as a diplomatic tool. And I want to emphasize what both Lisa and Dick said, and that is that the notion that of increasing America's energy output, and at the same time, not stepping back from our commitment to take on the very real threat of climate change are in no ways contradictory. I think we can both of those get done. I, again, I would point out to the fact, because of the tremendous upsurge in, in natural gas production, uh, who would have thought 20 years ago that it would be actually America leading most of the industrial world in terms of hitting the Kyoto Accord numbers. Um, again, I've mentioned again what we need to do on what we've done on LNG. I'm anxious to continue the conversation about uh, uh, domestic oil exports. Uh, I think opportunities, but challenges remain there as well. But I also would, would advise for all here this morning, uh, take a look at the component parts on how this affects um, our national security. This was a terribly important part of the report, something that I wanted to learn from. Uh, I think we've got a series of recommendations on national security that are both immediate and long-term. Uh, it is going to require actions in Congress. It's going to require actions in the administration. And uh, I know this is, uh, I hesitate to say, uh, Senator Murkowski and I were talking last night, um, but at a place that uh, hasn't necessarily always been productive over the last uh, few years, and that may not be a newsflash, so uh, uh, there, there is this sense right now, maybe it's just because we're thinking about August recess, but there is this sense uh, that there's a lot of us uh, uh, maybe of cooler heads that might be able to see actually how we get things done rather than simply blame each other for what doesn't get done. Energy is one of those areas under Senator McCausey's leadership where uh, I think we can put some points on the board. Thank you all very much. <clears throat>
you, you dangle the threat of, of a presidential veto. I'm sure that if the administration looked long and hard enough through this bill that we have put together, that they could find one piece that they don't like. I can find lots of pieces that I don't like. But how productive is that? Don't stop us before we get started. Allow us to build, allow us to legislate, allow us to govern. And so there have been suggestions that, well, if this is in, then you know it's veto bait. I'm not buying that for a minute. What I'm going to work on, and I think what Senator Cantwell is willing to work on, and I think what like-minded members are willing to work on, is how do we modernize our energy policy? You do it through building good legislation. You do it through working across the aisle. You do it by bringing the administration in. The LNG export piece that we have on here is based on good communication back and forth within the department, working with Secretary Moniz, taking his ideas, and building it together. So we've got a path forward, and I'm optimistic. That's right. Senator Warren, let me ask you the same question in a slightly different way. Uh, there's a, at least a narrative that the, um, the administration um, has uh, sort of tried its base a bit with um, the trade bill, um, and it's made climate change a top priority. So if, something, if they're going to do something on crude oil exports, that there needs to be something in there on the environmental side also. Without putting you on the spot to speak for the White House, do you have a sense of the kinds of things that the administration might be looking for, or do you think there's enough in the bill already to, to, to give them uh, a win on the issues that are important to them? Well, I think there's a number of colleagues, myself included, who, who realize if we're going to really have a diversified energy portfolio, you've got to look at uh, not only traditional fossil fuels, but there's enormous, enormous growth in, in renewables and, and other energy sources. I also think there's a moment in time here, and I would agree with uh, Senator Murkowski on this, where the stars may be partially aligning. And what I'm hoping is that uh, everybody will go into this debate with an open mind and uh, that there may be uh, some new suggestions that may be revamped suggestions from old that ought to be part of this discussion. Uh, in any kind of legislative process, uh, there's, some, uh, um, there's some trading and horse trading involved and both sides having to be willing to compromise a little bit. Uh, you, on a personal comment, we, uh, we're dealing in the Senate right now with a uh, transportation bill that Frankly, I've not been supportive of because it has absolutely no nexus in terms of the pay-fors to anything to do with transportation. You know, I, I think there are uh, potentially opportunities when you think about energy space uh, to think about nexuses, to think about things that could be good for the industry, that could be good long-term for economic growth um, that ought to be part of the debate. So I would echo what Lisa says. You know, anybody that tries to pick a piece of this bill early on and say, let me find a way to be against it, uh, I don't think that makes good sense. I do think we're going to need, um, not only from the White House standpoint, but I'm saying to my friends in industry, uh, keep an open mind on things. Uh, uh, because if we don't take advantage of this opportunity, it could be literally years uh, before we'll come around again. Terrific. Let me ask you both a foreign policy question in the report. Um, you all talk about um, the connection between energy and nearly every foreign policy challenge we face around the world. Asia diversifying supply, natural gas for, for Europe, um, uh, snapback sanctions on Iran. Are you hearing, as senators, are you all hearing from leaders in Europe and in Asia and in other places about the importance of access to U.S. energy? Well, I will. Uh, I will relay a conversation that I had when um, Prime Minister Abe was here uh, visiting the White House several months ago. I think it was like April or so. And while I didn't speak directly with, uh, with Prime Minister Abe, I did speak with many within his cabinet who uh, were asking a very direct question. And they're saying, we receive oil from Iran. We would really rather not receive our oil from Iran. We would rather be able to receive oil from the United States. What are you doing about it, United States? And it was a good discussion to have because I reminded them that this is not something that actually requires legislation. The Secretary of Commerce could actually make that decision working with the administration to allow for, um, for a waiver of, of the ban if it's a determination that it is in, 
it's in the, the best interest. So it is, it is an avenue that the administration can pursue without full-on repeal of the export ban. So I've been pushing and urging other countries. Look at Poland. Poland is, I think it's 95 or 96% dependent on, on Russia for their oil. We work with Poland on a lot of other things, national missile defense. They're there with us again in the war against terror on everything. And yet, they've got to go to Russia for their oil. Don't you think that they would like a little bit of, of, of help from their friends in the United States? So yes, I've been hearing from folks. Senator Orr? You know, Dave, I, I have as well. I'm chair of the US-India caucus and went with the president and visited Prime Minister Modi. And they've got a, Prime Minister Modi's got a hugely ambitious project about uh, moving India forward, but a lot of that is going to depend on its ability to build up its energy. Uh, and we see a country of over a billion people with rolling burnout, brownouts and blackouts uh, through the hot season. Um, I think there's enormous opportunities, both, you know, India has, has done a lot promoting um, its use of renewables, particularly solar, uh, yet still India is one of the largest users of traditional carbon fuels, uh, coal. One of the things we've been talking about is you know, it's our opportunity, even with um, you know, the president's proposed carbon rules, uh, you'd still have about 31% here of our baseload being generated by coal. If we're going to be using coal in India or in the United States, we've got to find ways to use it cleaner uh, in terms of energy mix. So this collaboration, both in terms of supply and uh, joint use and joint development of technology, I think is a, is a tremendously important asset. And what we are, I'm hearing from not just the Indians, but they in particular, this is top on their agenda. Great. One more quick one before we turn it over to the audience, and that's energy diplomacy. Uh, when I did energy diplomacy, I think I had a team of five. My successor twice removed, Amos Hochstein, has a bureau, but still hasn't yet uh, been, uh, been confirmed as an assistant secretary. How important is energy diplomacy, you think, to accomplishing, accomplishing these objectives and leveraging the boom, and, 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 uh, and, and, how, and how much... Uh, how much do you think um, we can get Senate support for, for strengthening that bureau and, uh, and its mission? Well, I'm not so sure about, about strengthening the bureau necessarily. Uh, I've got great respect for, for the work that Mr. Hochstein is, is doing and know that if they have support, they can, they can likely do more. But just from the overall perspective of energy diplomacy, um, Look at, look at all the hot spots around the world. Look at the volatility everywhere, it seems. And, and what are we doing from, from a, uh, a military perspective? We're, we're reducing our force strength. Uh, we sit at the, at the pivot point in the Pacific in, in Alaska, and an army has just taken, uh, or, or proposed to take, our one Arctic airborne uh, unit and, and disassemble it, and it's, it's due to budget cuts. And so we recognize that we will never have enough boots on the ground in all of the places around the world that perhaps might merit some attention. So what other tools do we have? And it's that proverbial uh, diplomatic tool toolkit that we have, and the energy piece needs to be a significant, a significant tool in that toolkit. Let me just add that one. Amos has been a friend of mine for more than a decade plus, and I think he's doing a great job with very limited resources, and I think he needs to be get confirmed. Um, and I, I would agree with Lisa, though, that this is one more tool in the toolkit, and because we have constraints on our energy supply, and usage, we're not able to use this tool as effectively as, as we should. Now, let's again recognize, I think it is important to put a, a caveat here as well, that maybe some in, in, in the industry would have predicted, but as a relatively keen outside observer, I'm not sure anyone could have predicted a decade ago that we would have access to as much ample resources as we do right now. So this really has been a, a game shifter. Uh, so, have, and, and again, commend Senator Murkowski, having now finally starting to move federal policy to catch up with, uh, catch up with 
access to these resources is a terribly important move, and we've got to use it as part of our of our uh, one of our strategic tools. I would simply add that uh, again, as we think about how we get from here to there on legislation, um, one of the things I don't want to presume here, but having been involved in lots of finance and budget-related conversations uh, with Lisa, you know, I think we would both concur that one of the stupidest, worst things that we could do in terms of economic recovery, in terms of, of our, our military presence around the world, is allow the stupidity of sequestration to come back on starting in 60 plus days. And as again, we think more creatively about how to avoid that, uh, there's a, some of the items that are involved in the energy portfolio might be involved in a larger solution about how you get rid of sequestration as well. Let's take some questions from the, uh, the audience and then... Uh... Let me just, before the questions, I just want to inform everybody that the woman who had the medical problem back there, uh, she apparently fainted, she's conscious, she's okay, she's in the hands of the very quick responding medical professionals that came, so she appears to be okay. Good news. That's great. Okay, questions to the audience. The first question, the gentleman in the, uh, in the back had his hand up first. We can bring him a microphone. If you can stand up, sir, they'll, they'll be able to find you quicker. Uh, good morning, and um, I'm uh, Maciej Pisarski. I'm Poland's uh, Charge d'Affaires. Uh, I'll be brief, but I cannot uh, help uh, thanking Ambassador uh, Morning Stark and, uh, and the Adjunct Council for gathering us uh, to discuss this important uh, topic. Um, Senator Murkowski, Senator Warner, thank you very much for your leadership uh, uh, on that issue. And I could not agree more with Senator Murkowski about the uh, importance and uh, geopolitical utility of uh, having the access uh, for countries like Poland to American uh, uh, energy resources, be it oil or, or, or energy. We are fully in agreement, and thank you very much for, uh, for your uh, leadership in this. My question is about um, uh, United States and, and, the, and European Union discussing um, the um, TTIP uh, agreement about, uh, on, on, on um, in partnership in, on investment and, and trade. I would like to ask uh, uh, you, senators, about uh, how do you see energy um, are playing a role in uh, in uh, this strategic discussion between uh, United States and European Union about creating this um, uh, this uh, sphere of, of uh, uh, free trade and, and 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 investment partnership. What role energy should play in it? Thank you. Thank you. Well, I would just the truth is we've just for me at least we have just gotten through the uh, very heated debate on uh, uh, trade promotion authority. I've supported, uh, unlike many in my party, the idea that we ought to go ahead and expand trade. I think that is a, both a economic necessity. I think it is good for America. It is good for the world. You've got to have guide rules on that, at that trade process. And clearly, uh, the immediate focus is, is more the TTP. And in terms of, I know Ambassador Froman is out, I believe, doing heavy duty right now in Maui this week, uh, trying to conclude uh, those conversations. Um, but back again to some of the questions about the implications of this report. If we can reshape American energy policy as we move uh, to the discussions with our European partners in terms of what do those trade arrangements look like, um, if, we've, if America's got more flexibility around uh, use and distribution of its energy resources, that will clearly elevate the position of energy in those discussions. Well, I, I would concur with, with what Senator Warner has said and just, just remind that if we are going to limit ourselves um, with our own self-imposed uh, ban on, on oil export, uh, our ability to, to talk about what that free trade agreement might be in the energy sector is, is limiting. We can't do it if, we've, if we have tied our hands. Um, just to kind of segue from that just a little, I have uh, stated quite clearly, I think, and, and rather loudly at times, that the, the effort that will we'll move forward if 
this uh, Iran negotiation proceeds um, and the sanctions on Iranian oil are lifted while we keep in place our own ban on, on exporting U.S. oil, we are effectively sanctioning U.S. oil producers. We let Iran go out and enjoy the benefits of a, of a global marketplace out there and uh, gain full advantage to their treasury while we sanction our own U.S. oil producers. Thank you. Do you have time? It's Oh, I gotta go. So let's Sorry. thank uh, Senator Murkowski. <laughs> Senator Warren, do you have time for a couple, a couple more questions? Let's thank Senator Murkowski. I'm gonna for let Mark morning. field them all. Thank <laughs> you. Thank, thank you so much. Make sure you get out. That's great. Great. Next we'll go to Bronco Terzik in the uh, second row here. And a mic is coming. You project loudly anyway, Bronco, so. Senator, I'm Bronco Terzic with the uh, Council here in Berkeley Research. A political question. The price of gasoline at the pump is low today. Uh, does that benefit uh, the argument for the public uh, in, front of the, in front of the consumer that we ought to lift the export banners that hurt it? I think that there is... I've heard people argue against the export ban in saying that lifting the export ban might... Uh, raise the price of gasoline. The actually, the reality is, in economic studies we've seen from Brookings to AEI and all folks in between, is that lifting the ban on export of oil could potentially lower the price of gas from, I think most folks are in that six to eight cents range. I've seen two to 12 cent range. I think there needs to be a little more uh, uh, doing a better job of getting those studies out, number one. Number two, and, and this is where I, I'm saying that the, there may be opportunities here uh, you know, to get an export ban lifted. You're going to have to make some kind of, of, of uh, more comprehensive approach, some kind of trade, some kind of uh, idea of, of you know, whether it's tied back to infrastructure or whether it's dealing with sequestration. There's an opportunity, I believe, if particularly the industry doesn't reflexively react um, uh, to get to yes in a way that that's gives certainty, gives predictability, as opposed to saying, well, we're going to wait maybe for three years and hope for different national election results to, to give us an opportunity. Um, I think prudent, smart, thoughtful investors will be open to those kind of conversations. Uh, ironically, while it may be easier for the to sell the case to the public at this point with the industry having challenges at you know, 48 $49 a barrel it may be harder for the industry to kind of see the long-term value of, of uh, making a trade um, but, but this is going to be a long-term game and a long-term process and uh, I think if we miss this window um, people will look back a few years from now we won't have the kind of uh, job creation. We won't have the 20 to 25 percent increase in, in production. We won't have the ability to use this tool in a more uh, to advance American interests around the world. Um, but uh, there's going to have to re require some kind of a some kind of a trade here. Great. Time for one more. Nelson Cunningham. Hi, Senator Nelson hey, Cunningham, McClarty Associates. Uh, as a board member of the Atlantic Council, thank you for doing this. And thank you for your comments about the expanded reach of the council. Uh, my question is slightly off topic, but I spent two years as chair of the Exim Bank Advisory Committee. We've all seen in the last week the Senate did its job uh, and the House hasn't. This is an issue I think that a lot of people in the room follow. What's your prognosis for the Exim Bank and uh, how that might move forward? You know, Nelson, I thought you were my friend. <laughs> You know, you might, I, I have about as much clarity about what the process forward for the XM Bank is as being able to predict what's going to happen in the Republican debate next week. So um, <laughs> here's, here's the, I find it stunning, absolutely stunning, that, that the overwhelming majority of the Congress, I think 
Republican Democrat voted, which I supported, by the way, and cut, took arrows for, supported, let's, saying, let's go ahead and expand America's global reach, expand our opportunities for trade. And then a whole lot of those same folks who said, we want to expand trade, say, we don't want to have the ability to have in the toolkit the ability to finance American companies to do business abroad. I, I find a complete total disconnect in how this became an issue of almost um, kind of ideological fundamentalism is, is a mistake. And one of the things that I find um, as someone who, who generally sides, uh, who has been criticized many times within the Democratic Party for being a pro-growth, pro-business, um, Democrat, and I'll take that. I'll take those arrows. I do get concerned at times when so many colleagues from the, in the business community say, "Well, on XM, we're really going to we're really going to hold people's feet to the fire." And while we have seen certain entities do that, overall, uh, I just could imagine what if, if this had been the Democrats stopping XM, what might be happening in town? Um, you know, we did get a strong vote. I think we ended up with 66, 67 votes. You know, I think uh, Senator Cornyn and others said, you know, when two-thirds of the Senate want something, uh, even if, if the leadership doesn't want it, it's going to happen. Uh, I think an a open vote in the House would give us the same kind of majorities. Uh, but it is, it is um, opaque, to say the least, at this point. Uh, I think it is, it's unfortunate that XM has become a pawn in kind of the, the legislative back and forth. Um, you know, let the House vote, and you know, let's take the let, let the House work its will, but let the House work its will because it's going to be a bipartisan consensus. And again, as you know, as we look at our competitive nations, you know, Canada much smaller GDP, but much greater, per, much larger per capita uh, export support facility. Brazil, France, and you know, we need not even talk about what the the Chinese do in terms of their support. So. Uh, it is a, I think, enormous business mistake for not, for us not to reauthorize XM and do it quickly and soon. Great, thank you, Senator. You have time for one more? You know, I should get out on the XM question because that was like, <laughs> if I couldn't hit that softball, I mean, I'll take one more, and then one it's more. always the last question that kills you. So uh, with true. that, all right, we're gonna move it to the, hey. the gentleman there in the uh, the red shirt uh, on the aisle. Then that'll be our last question. Hi, uh, Hi, my name is Lee Stewart. I work with the group Beyond Extreme Energy. Um, so it seems you've judged the science around climate change and determined the consensus to keep fossil fuels in the ground now is trumped by short-term gain and the interest of an economic elite. But what of the people when free of the industry money so-called government agencies like FERC are dependent on determine that fracking hurts their communities and human civilizations because of the increasingly clear and catastrophic effects of climate change. What recourse do we have as people when our senators don't recognize the reality that fossil fuel extraction must happen now and regulatory agencies act as rubber stamps, as is happening all over the country, including in Augusta and Nelson counties in our state senator and in Lusby, Maryland, where by and large, the community where Dominion is building Cove Point Export Facility do not want an export monster in their backyard. Thank you for the question for proving Senator Warner correct. Yeah, <laughs> fair, no, 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 fair questions, no, no. fair questions. I appreciate the turn of the question. On, on you know, the proposed pipelines in Virginia, you know, they've, they've not even filed yet, so let's wait till they file. They constantly are even changing their, their, um, um, their routes, and I think one of the things we've been um, consistently urging FERC to do, and uh, I think sometimes to their chagrin, is making sure both sides get a fair hearing. Some of the earlier hearings seemed a little stacked one way as opposed to where I think the, the community's got to have its voice heard, number one. Number two, where I would, uh, you know, I absolutely believe you know, the threat and challenge of climate change is real and current. We have places, again, being Virginia-centric in Norfolk, Virginia, where uh, uh, a church has to change its schedule on almost a weekly basis because of almost weekly flooding because of rising sea levels. 
this is happening not decades from now, it's happening now. And one of the comments I made in my opening comments was that, that um, um, I think the continued science and review, particularly vis-a-vis -vis fracking, is something that's extraordinarily important. We can debate it right now, but I, I absolutely believe that we have to proceed and, and on any energy source, you know, when you put all your eggs in one basket, you make potentially a mistake. Number three, um, uh, as we look at, for example, export of LNG or American development of natural gas, we've actually seen uniquely America move faster and farther in terms of carbon emissions than most of our European friends who had much stricter regimes because of, of that development. And then uh, finally, um, and again, let me be very clear, I'm, I'm talking about uh, there would have to be a, an, an interesting, to say the least, negotiation vis-a-vis -vis export. But the world is using a certain amount of hydrofuels, hydrocarbons. I candidly believe that American hydrocarbons are both extracted in a, a cleaner, more efficient way, say, than Venezuelan, Russian. And I don't believe, I believe you're talking about here substitution, not increasing the carbon footprint. We could debate that. Uh, but, um, um, in, and final point I just simply make is, and one of the things I think the report stressed as well, is that, uh, uh, well, a decade ago, we couldn't think about the access to energy that we have in this country at this point. Uh, I do believe a decade from now as well. Um, we're getting very quickly towards the tipping point on solar, wind, renewables, and others. I would actually put, uh, just to not leave, you know, to further stir the pot a little bit, nuclear in that, in that uh, pile as well, because uh, if we're talking about carbon, it is, it is uh, carbon-free. Um, but uh, you absolutely validated the, the question that the, the last question is always the one that gets you. So <laughs> thank you, though, for your comments. Great. Thank you, Senator. The senators, thanks to, uh, to all the members of the task force who helped put this together, and, uh, and, and thanks most of all to all of you for participating today. Have a good day.